Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Good morning. Man, how do you follow that, right? A lot of pressure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? <laughs> I see the plan now. <laughs> well, good morning. Thank you all for coming today. I hope you all enjoyed that. We enjoyed uh, getting with the kids and practicing with them. And when they were doing Hope Has Come um, the past couple weeks, the elementary, like, the leader's just crying. And, like, you're just tearing up, like, oh, it's so good seeing kids worship God. So, yes, hope you all enjoyed that so much. Um, we have been going through Genesis. Um, for a while now, and today is the last sermon in Genesis. So when we come back, we will start in Exodus. So I get to finish up Genesis, so that is pretty cool. Um, And we have been talking the past couple weeks um, about Joseph and his life. Um, And just to recap, so Joseph was the favorite of Jacob, and he uh, everybody knew it. His brothers knew it, and he had these prophetic dreams that God gave him, and he was kind of, I mean, not cool about it. Like, he just straight up told his brothers, like, yeah, by the way, you're all going to bow down to me. And like, Mom, Dad, you're going to do it too. And so it just really ticks him off. So if you have siblings and you have a sibling like that, you know, you can understand. Um, and so his brothers, upset at this, were like, okay, I don't like you anymore. Let's get rid of this guy. And so they thought maybe we'll kill him. Um, but then Judah's like, no, let's just sell him. Let's just make him a slave. And so you do that. And then Joseph ends up in slavery in Egypt. And I can't imagine what he's dealing with going through that. Um, uh, but then he kind of lucks out, and he ends up in Potiphar's house, and he's, he's in charge of the household, but Potiphar's wife tends to like him a little too much. He tries to make moves on him, and then he's falsely accused of, of coming on her in the wrong way. And so now he's in prison, and so he's, he deals with that for a while. Um, but the warden likes him. He still finds favor. God's constantly always giving Joseph favor. Um, and... He ends up basically eating that prison under the warden until he finds himself in front of Pharaoh. And when he comes to Pharaoh and interprets the dreams through, through God that does it, but God uses Joseph to do that, and now he's second in command over all of Egypt. So this is where we pick up today is where Joseph is, is now at this prestige, and everything that he has gone through has molded his character and molded his, his walk with God into where he can be where he is now. Um, so before we get into it, I just want to pray real quick. Father God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the fellowship. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for Jesus. I just ask, Lord, that you would just anoint my lips, God, um, that everything that comes through me would be of you, God, and not my flesh talking, Lord, but your spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would rest on everyone here continually, that you would open hearts and minds to receive what you want them to receive today, God. And I just praise you, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, or it's on the Sky Bible, Um, We're starting in Genesis chapter 42, starting at verse 1, and we're going through 6. So if you have your Bible, say amen when you're there. Quick, y'all are fast. I like it. Okay, so when Jacob learned, verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Listen, he went on, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some food for us so that we will live and not die. 
I just want to pause. I think that's hilarious, by the way, that you ever had your dad talk to you that way, like something's going on. He's like, listen, stop being an idiot and do what I've told you to do. So I just think it's funny. There's a lot of sarcasm in the Bible. I digress. So 10 of his brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. So I'll pause again. Jacob's already dealt with losing his favorite before. And now Benjamin is the last son of his favorite wife, Rachel. And that's all he's got. So he's holding on. So he's still, he's got to go through this again, possibly, is what it's highlighting. And, and, and so it goes into verse 5. It says, The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all of its people. His brothers came and bowed down before him <clears throat> with their faces to the ground. And this leads us to our, our first point. And this is so amazing how God is. God is always faithful to his plan. And you see, chapters before, early on before, God had already promised Joseph that, yes, they will bow down to you. But now, decades later, it finally came to fruition. So just know, if God's birthed something in you or a dream and desire, it doesn't always happen tomorrow. There are things that you have to go through. Your character has to be molded constantly so that God's plan can be um, can come to fruition. And God had foretold in this. Um, God's plan was to make Joseph a leader in his family. But he knew the best way to do that would be to humble him. And through slavery and false accusations and being forgotten about, Joseph was constantly learning the only one he could constantly and always depend on is God. And Joseph had to go through so much to truly understand that. And I wonder what you've had to go through in your life that God is trying to teach you that. That he's faithful to his plan that he's called you, but at the end of the day, he's the only one all the time that you can depend on constantly. That he's always there for us. And I just love that about God. But I think a lot of times we, we say that, but we don't believe it. Because we have the hypothetical that comes in, and we try to figure out tomorrow before it ever happens. You ever done that? Am I the only one? Am I the only weird one that does that? That like, oh, I wonder if that happens tomorrow, and I do this, and then I do that, and that happens a week later, then my next year is just going to be terrible. Like 365 days in advance before tomorrow's even come. And a lot of times I think we just, we try to figure it out instead of just walking in faith and doing what God is calling you to do today. Because you're not promised the rest of today. You're not promised tomorrow. We have to take every step with purpose and under God's authority and his plan. And I think of a lot of us get a lot of um, anxiety and fear because we try to figure out the plan for ourselves and try to do it ourselves. Like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. And like, what is God going to do? Are you going to take care of it by yourself? Like, are you all-knowing? you omnipotent that you can take care of all your problems all the time and never have to rely on God? And I think that's what this world is doing more and more constantly. And that's why depression goes up, anxiety goes up, loneliness goes up, because they don't have their identity in God, in Christ, and know that they can constantly depend on him always. I like the, uh, the uh, I guess, analogy is the word of God's plan, kind of like following a GPS system. Everyone's followed it, right? Google Maps or Waze or whatever. I actually learned about Waze coming here, and I love it. it tells me the speed limit, too. But anyways, <clears throat> so if you don't have Waze, probably get it. But 
following God's plan, a lot of times for me that I've experienced is you have this highlighted route of where God wants you to go, right? And you know you need to make this left turn, and then you're going to make that right turn. But a lot of us, when we try to figure out the plan ahead, you're like, you know what? I want to make this turn. Or we get rebellious, or we let our, we let our feelings get in the way. And this is so true more and more as we let our feelings dictate our actions and let our feelings dictate everything that we do. And so you're like, you know, yeah, God's word does say this. And I'm supposed to be kind. I'm supposed to be compassionate or whatever. But I really want to smack that guy in the face today. So I think I'm just going to do it or something. Whatever the scenario is, we're constantly making different turns and changing down the road. And so following God's plan, does that mean you can never get to the destination that God has set before you? No. Because what does a GPS do? It recalculates. And God is always there for us every step of the journey, recalculating what we need to be molded and experiences we need to go through, circumstances we need to go through, so that we can depend on him and learn that we can follow that highlighted path. But when we give in to our feelings and we give in to that um, just trying to figure it out for ourselves, we end up sometimes on rockier paths or more obstacles, or circumstances that we didn't have to go through if we would have listened to God in the first place. And a lot of people, it takes them a long time walking with God to understand that. And for most of it, it would be the rest of your life, trying to follow God as much as you can, but you're still going to make mistakes. But know that even when you're making mistakes, or you have friends or family or kids that are making mistakes, that God still has a plan for them and a call in their life. He has called everyone to know him. And he uses so many different people. So have hope today in that. If you have kids or just you yourself, you feel lost half the time and you don't feel like you're on the route. Know that God is with you and he is walking with you every step of the way and that he loves you. And he wants you to get to that place because not only do we depend on God constantly, but I, I, I truly believe that he wants us to get to a place in our character and walk with him where he can depend on us, where he can know we can be lights to our communities. We can be lights to the world around us. We can lead our kids well. We can lead people around us well. And so, yes, you can always depend on God, but get to a place where God can depend on you. When, when you're like Joseph dealt with in slavery or whatever, or being falsely accused, he constantly leaned on God and depended on God. Didn't understand the situation, didn't know tomorrow, didn't know what was going to happen, but he held on to something that God had gave him when he was young, and he was going to follow God no matter what. Jesus calls us to be servants. And if you follow Jesus, then you serve others in grace and mercy and compassion. And that's getting to a place where God can depend on you when that becomes your nature and that becomes your character. You let go of bitterness, you let go of anger, and just you, you, you strive to love others because you first understand how much God loves you and cares for you and desires for you to have a holy and righteous life and to live blameless in front of people. So that when people look at you, they see something different. When they hear you talk, there's something different about you. Just you, you have a joy, you have a peace on you, have a compassion, and you love people especially when they don't deserve it. Because it's easy to love someone when they love you back, right? And they're nice to you, they give you things. But someone that curses you, mean to you, bad remarks you, if you still love them, that's being in a place in your life where God can depend on you. And that's a place we need to be. Joseph's character at the time, he was given the God-given dream, could not have sustained him for being second in command over all of Egypt. He was too haughty, he was naive, and he was unprepared. So 
God, yes, had a plan for him, but he knew Joseph was not ready. His character was not ready to be able to be put in charge over all of Egypt because God had a process that he needed to mold Joseph through. But when Joseph finally got there, we cover a lot of the story today, too. It's like eight chapters, so I'm trying to get the highlights, okay? So <clears throat> Joseph had grown in his character, and so now he sees his brothers have come. He recognizes them, but his brothers don't recognize Joseph. He looks completely different. He's a man now. He's got a family. And they're like, yeah, we need grain. We're bowing down to him. And Joseph's like, okay, this is what God promised me what would happen. And so he had a couple choices, but, but he chose to say, hey, you're all spies, you're all wicked men, and uh, I think you're all lying. And they're like, no, like, we just want food. We're not doing anything crazy, man. He's like, don't believe you. And they're like, we have a younger brother back home. He's like, bring him. Then I'll believe you. But guess what? One of you is going to be put in prison. It's going to be that guy. And it's Simeon. And so they take Simeon as collateral, right? And so the rest of the brothers go off, and they have their grain, but Joseph ordered his servants to put their money back in the bag. So when they get home and on the journey, they realize they still have their money and the grain. So now they're being accused of spies. Now they're like, oh, man, now we look like thieves. We didn't even pay for this. So they get to Jacob, and they tell him what happened. And they're like, we got to bring Benjamin back, or we're in trouble if we ever go back there. Jacob's like, no, not, not my son, not again. Can't do this to me again. Joseph's already gone. You've already taken Simeon now, and now you want to take Benjamin too? He's old, he's tired, he's already lost so much, and he just, he can't do it. He doesn't want to give anymore. So, some time goes by until they're out of food again. And I just, common sense, I don't know. They have multiple bags of grain, and it takes, I don't think you can eat like a whole bag of grain in a day, right? So there's got to be some time that Simeon is just in prison. And, and I can't imagine what he's dealing with, too. Like, where are my brothers? Like, why haven't they not come and got me? Like... I guess we did this to Joseph, so this is just our character. <laughs> this is our family. Someone goes to prison, and we just leave him alone. So I thought that was pretty crazy. But anyway, so there's some time passes, and then they run out of food, and they're like, okay, Dad. They go to Jacob, like, we've got to get food, or we're going to die. And he's like, you're not taking Benjamin. And Judah steps up, and he's like, I will take full blame and responsibility if anything happens to Benjamin, which, as we learned previously, is completely out of Judah's character, like, Dude's intense, and he was the one that sold Joseph off. So now he's standing up for his youngest brother. Something has changed in his life. These years have molded Judah in a different way. So they go back. They bring Benjamin, and Joseph prepares this feast, right? And he sits them all in order from their age, and like oldest to youngest, and then gives Benjamin like a bunch of food because that's his real brother. That's, they had the same mother and father. Rachel was their mom. And so... They, they feast and everything else, and then they get more grain or whatever, and they're worried at first because they're like, hey, we brought double money this time because last time I think you forgot, and the servant's like, your God must have blessed you. It's okay. Like, I received your payment. And so they think everything's fine. It's hunky-dory. It's great. And then they're leaving with their grain, and Joseph tells a servant like, hey, put my silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And uh, so he does it. They walk off, and Joseph's like, hey, you are thieves. You've taken my cup because he wanted to test them. He wanted to test their character to see if they truly had changed and God has, has molded them in a different way. And so it's found out in Benjamin's bag. And so he's like, okay, your youngest brother is mine. 
giving them the same scenario they had to deal with decades before. And that's one thing I love about God's plan is he gives you a second chance a lot of times and third chances and fourth chances to make the right decision this time. And I love that about this. Judah steps up completely and he's like, well, it's, I'm taking full responsibility. Like, don't take Benjamin, take me. I promise my father tells him the whole story. And Joseph just breaks down. Because now he has seen how God has changed his brothers and changed his family. And it just, he can't bear it. He just starts crying. And it leads us to our next set of scriptures in Genesis 45. Starting at verse 4, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life for the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance therefore it is not you who sent me here but God he has made me a father to Pharaoh lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt And our next point is God is faithful to prompt forgiveness. And that's something we have to learn about God is he constantly wants reconciliation. Not with us and him all the time too, but also with other people. With our families, with loved ones, with other people that we have made enemies with. He desires us to be reconciled with him, to do our part, to forgive them and bless them and live in a life of peace. Because Jesus called us to be peacemakers. And even further, Jesus said, you will know my disciples by how much they love. They love each other. And if that's the standard, then I think a lot of us have to step up in that area, me included, especially. If people are to know me as a Christian, not as, hey, I'm a Christian, but by how much I love other people and bless people, and that's the standard, then there can be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all our churches, on your life, on your family, because you're doing what Jesus commands you to do. Not what you just should do, what he commands you to do. And Joseph was faced with this decision of he could forgive or he could hold on to this bitterness. And I think we have that issues too in our lives with different people and situations. And do you choose to hold on to something that someone said or something that someone's done to you, family, friends, whatever, and let it just create this pot of bitter in your life? Because that's not hurting the other person. Because a lot of times the other people don't even know that they even did that to you with some of us. Some of it they do. But holding that in and holding the grudges just eats us alive, not them. I've heard it. It's like you want that person to die so you drink poison and think it's going to kill them. It's not hurting them. It's hurting yourself. It's hurting your walk with God. It's creating stress in your life, anxiety. And so I think if we, sometimes we think it's just, it isn't fair. It's not fair to forgive them. Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know what they've done to my family? I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve it. But then I'm reminded of what Jesus said. And in Matthew 5, he talks about turning the other cheek when that cheek was slapped. They got you? Okay. Offer it. Or you're sued in court, and they take your coat. Like, all right, you want my shirt too? Or a soldier tells you, carry my gear for a mile. He's like, all right, I'll do it too. Blessing people that don't deserve it. 
That's godly. That's, that's ridiculous love, is to continually bless someone when they don't deserve it, and it isn't fair to you. Because for Joseph, was it fair that he got thrown into all this mess constantly? Probably not, but it didn't stop him blessing people and doing his best and striving to love people and protect people when he could. I know a lot of times that we think if someone deserves it or not, we need to also ask the question, do I deserve God's forgiveness in my life? Because the Bible is, clearly states we all failed short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all cursed God. But yet in our sin, God sent Jesus to live the perfect life and to be holy and blameless and die for us so that we could have direct access to God and be adopted into his family. So do you deserve that forgiveness? The answer is no. None of us, honestly, we don't deserve it, but God deemed us worthy too. So when you're dealing with struggling with forgiveness or bitterness in your life, check yourself and then be like, whether they deserve it or not, God calls me because that's how he is. And if I'm supposed to be Christ-like and live a holy life, then that's the kind of actions and the kind of lifestyle I need to live is forgiving others and blessing others when it's not fair and when they don't deserve it. Peter came to Jesus once, and I, I love this little, it's a short little conversation, but it's awesome. And he, and he came to Jesus, and he's like, hey, how often should I forgive someone that sins against me? And he throws out the holy number, God's number. He's like, seven times? Like, seven times? Do I forget? Surely not. Like, maybe six, like, but not seven. I don't forgive someone seven times after they've cursed me or mean to me or tortured me, whatever. And Jesus, I can only imagine him smiling and looking at him, maybe a hand on the shoulder like, no, 70 times, seven times. And it's not literally like 490 times you are supposed to forgive, but 491, stop it. No more. Don't deserve it. No, that's not it. He was just exaggerating like you continually forgive someone. And it's not they're messing with them, messing with, it's against you completely. If they talk to you, if someone talks dirty to you every day or just curses you every day, like it takes God to love them and takes God to make sure that bitterness doesn't take root. Be like, ah, oh, God calls me to love, man, because he loves me. So I've got to continue to love you. And with a lot of people that don't know God, it breaks them down. And it just changes the way they think about Christians. Because I think the, the common stereotype that I had grown up with Christians are like, you're wrong, you're evil, you've done this, you sinned against God, I'm holy. I'm like, no, nah, really? It's not it. To be a Christian is to love and to love other people, and bring that compassion and grace when people don't deserve it. And I think a lot of times we hold grudges. <clears throat> but a lot of times, Jesus taught before in, in the New Testament that before we even go to God and offer our offerings and, and bless his name, if we have ought with someone, he commands us to go and fix that first before you come to God and offer your offerings. So before you go into prayer and ask God for all these blessings and everything else, if you have issues with people that you can mend, I know a lot of situations we can't do much other than love and forgive on our end. The other person, it's up to them. It's up to them and God. We just have to do our part so that that bitterness doesn't take root and we can be free from those feelings and those weird emotions and the anxiety because you know you're doing what God has called you to do. And I think for me, one of the first lessons I learned on Forgiveness was forgiving my mom and truly forgiving my mom because I, I grew up for about 14 years and she was awesome and then something just switched in my family's life and she just 
became cold to me, angry. She started popping pills and was just rude and basically just left, just left. Just ended up moving to Texas and have not seen her since before I graduated high school. And it wasn't until 2016 May that I got saved. And that was one of the first things because I had all this bitterness and all this hate and rage towards her. Because I'm like, how could you do that? How could you leave your kid, leave my brother? How could you just be so evil? Every time I talk to you, you curse me out and it's just ridiculous. But God, through his radical way of forgiving me and loving me and seeing that I deserve to be forgiven, I knew that I had to forgive her if I was going to walk this out. And you have to do that. If you have those issues with people, you've got to forgive them. And you've got to try to mend it. So I, I called her up and was like, hey, I, I love you. And I'm sorry for anything I've ever done. And I forgive you for what you've done to me. And it was such like a, ah, like a weight lifted. Because I'd done what God had called me to do. And I'd truly forgiven. And though sometimes you can still get irritated and get reminded. But in that moment, I'd truly like let it go and gave it to God. And with a lot of our issues and dealing with forgiveness and bitterness, we have to do that. Just give it to God. That's the only way to do it. We can't fix it on our own. So now in the story, after Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he says, hey, go get Jacob and come on down to Egypt or up to Egypt. I don't know. I'm directionally challenged. And uh, you're going to get the best land that Egypt has to offer. Pharaoh's going to bless you and give you the best land, the land of Goshen. And so the whole family come, and he's like, I've got you all. I've got you covered. I'm second in command. You're going to be good, and you're going to love life. You can still be shepherds. It's great. You don't have to like do anything weird or different. You can just be yourselves and live here. And so they do that, and Joseph is reunited with his father. It's a hallmark moment. It's great, guys. you got to read it. And so <clears throat> everything's fine. It seems hunky-dory, and, and life is great for the next 17 years. But then Jacob dies, and Joseph's brothers have this mindset of like, uh-oh, like maybe now that daddy's gone, he's going to strike us down, because maybe he still holds an inkling of that bitterness, or he still didn't really forgive us, and maybe he's just going to destroy us, because now there's no one stopping him. No one would challenge Joseph. In flesh eyes, be like, do you know what they did to me? Be like, yeah, I guess they deserve it, you know? And Jacob now is not there to intercede for his sons. Like, please don't because you love me. It, 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 Jacob or Joseph had that opportunity, right? And so Joseph's brothers are scared to death that they're about to be executed or enslaved or whatever. And so it leads us to our next in Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept. When, they heard, when their message came to him, his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him, and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them. And spoke calmly to him. 
And now you see Joseph's character just come to fruition, where he had this opportunity to be like, you know what, yeah, I am going to destroy you now that dad's gone, and maybe I feel some kind of way about that. But instead, he just broke down. He's like, guys, it's not me. Like, God has sustained me and blessed me my entire life. Like, I'm not going to destroy you. And he comforted them and was kind to them when they probably didn't deserve it. And I'm so thankful that God is faithful to bring good from evil. That's just what he does. That's the God we get to serve. Is a God that through darkness and tragedy and bad circumstances or bad lifestyles can redeem and bring goodness and holiness out of that situation and circumstance. My life included. If I didn't go through what I went through, I could not understand how gracious God is. And I still can't even grasp it completely. I don't think any of us can. Can understand how much love God has to offer in grace and mercy if we would just reach out and take it and accept it in our own lives. And God uses this darkness and sin in the world to give him glory and bless his people. Because sometimes the darkest tragedies bring out the most magnificent compassion and care in people. Things that you have gone through, that you've struggled with, whatever it is, sickness, cancer, death, whatever you've dealt with, a lot of times when you go through that and God brings you through that, you are able to speak life into someone going through that or dealing with that same scenario and bring goodness into that relationship. Give someone hope. Bless someone because you're like, you know what? God brought me through that honestly, and it was terrible. It was the worst scenario, worst experience I've ever dealt with in my life, but hey, I'm still here, and God's going to help you too. God's going to get you through this, and I'm going to walk with you. I know God's walking with you, but now I can because I understand what you're feeling. I understand what you're going through. I understand the tragedy, uh, the tragedies that you've dealt with. And Joseph, his whole life for decades was just being molded. His character was being molded into being more compassionate and more loving and blessing people and being there for people because he was always low man on the totem pole after he was enslaved. He always dealt with the mess and had to deal with being forgotten and being falsely accused. And, and now God had to take him through all that, what seems like muck and just terribleness, to mold him into the man and the vessel that God needed at this time in history for this people to save everyone. And it says that God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Everything that Joseph was going through, he was being molded and shaped and polished for this vessel that God needed at that time. So don't ever think that what you're going through is meaningless or the tragedies you've faced or the darkness you've endured or going through right this second that just seems like the worst experience you've ever dealt with today. It's not meaningless and God will bring good from it if you continually trust him, if you continually believe that he does have a plan for your life that he can guide you and direct you every step, that he won't leave you. When you're all alone and you're in that prison by yourself, he's still there. He will always be there. And that's the hope we get as Christians. So don't let the struggles today that you have cripple you. Let God give you the strength and courage to be molded in that fire because he disciplines those he loves. Maybe Joseph didn't deserve everything he went through, but God was disciplining him for the man he needed at that time and moment in history. So Joseph had to cling to this hope constantly his entire life. 
so that when he finally had that fateful moment before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had these dreams that nobody could answer, it wasn't Joseph in himself that his 17-year-old self, like, hey, actually, uh, yeah, I've interpreted my own dreams a couple times, and uh, I got you, man. It was completely humble, full of humility, like, I can't do it, but I serve a God that does and I know a God that is all-knowing and all-sufficient and has always taken care of me, has always provided for me through every struggle I've been through, and he can answer your dream. He was able to witness because of every circumstance and every dark thing he had walked through in his life. It wasn't meaningless. It brought him to that moment where he could bless Pharaoh and eventually bless the entire land. And that's the type of place what you're going through is so God can mold you in that. And you can be the perfect vessels for where he needs you in your life, in whatever community you're dealing with, whatever people you come in contact with, so you can bless them and witness to them and love them when they don't deserve it. And I'm so glad that, that God is like that. I'm so glad that, that since God brings good from evil, I mean, that's, that's the gospel, right? Jesus didn't deserve to be beaten. He didn't deserve to be falsely accused and, and, and tortured, whipped, and then put on the cross and just left to die. All he did was love people, preach the kingdom, is here, tell people about God, tell them there's another way, give them hope, heal them, do crazy miracles, and he was still persecuted and destroyed. But through that darkness and through that evil that he had to endure of holding all the sin on himself, because of that, we get direct access to God now. That's the hope we have, is that we can actually go face-to-face -face with God, enter into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did for us. And that can, just, that can just bring you to the place where you're like, you know what, God loves so much and he did that. Of course he's going to take care of me and bring good from this. Of course I can forgive someone else. Of course I can believe that God has a plan for my life. Because of that, just because of the basic gospel. And that puts us to a place where it's, it's not hard to witness because all you do is just tell how much God has taken care of you and loved you. That's all Joseph did. God's just taking care of me. And yeah, he can take care of you too. And you, and you, and you, everybody. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. He desires to have us in relationship and fellowship with him. We just simply have to accept it. Accept that invitation. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.